G'day, folks. Thanks for tuning in to the Places with People podcast. I'm Daniel Platt, and travelling is important to me. If that's something we share, then this podcast is for you. You'll have the chance to hear from some of the best tour guides on the planet about the world's most interesting and unique places. We travel somewhere new every episode to hear about life, culture, and history from fascinating people. Great local guides are the key. Theirs are the stories that will change the way you experience their world. This podcast is sponsored by Localing Tours. That's a private tour company a mate and I started here in Melbourne eight years ago. We do some pretty cool things in cities all over Australia. So be sure to look us up next time you're exploring Down Under. For details on any of the guides we feature on this podcast, email me at danlocalingtours.com. Today we're off to Mexico City. We'll be chatting with Andres Acosta, an incredible local guide from Mexico a pie, or Mexico on foot. He was born and raised in this unique place with more than 700 years of history and some 25 million inhabitants. It's incredibly culturally rich and diverse. We'll talk about food, history, politics, local life, and of course, heaps of great local travel tips. I really enjoyed this chat and I hope you do as well. I'm here today with Andres Acosta from Mexico a pie, Mexico on foot, which is a tour company based in Mexico City, one of the largest and most exciting cities on the planet. Uh, one that's also incredibly far from where I am here in Melbourne, Australia. And I'm very excited to chat with you today, Andres. How are you going? Hello. Very nice to meet you. Um, thanks for having me Like in these new experiments that we are having this whole year trying to learn about the other side of the world. Yeah, it's definitely a very interesting time, certainly in our industry, but really all over the world. How have you guys been doing in Mexico recently? Well, recently, um, tourism has been rising a little bit after this awful year that we have um, last year. But thanks that to the fact that we are living so close to the United States and the United States are really far in their vaccination program, um, tourists are coming back slowly, but coming back. Thank, thanks God, actually. Yeah, that's a really good thing. It's it's a big industry in Mexico. Yes, tourism is really, really an important industry. Uh, one, when one think about tourism in Mexico, maybe the very first thing that comes to your mind are the Caribbean or the Gulf, the Pacific uh, Ocean, uh, the seaside, the beaches. They are just gorgeous. But Mexico has so many things to offer so many different things, so many different weathers. Uh, maybe you think about Mexico because of the movies in the desert and these sandy kind of 
colors, but Mexico is so much more than that. Actually, Mexico has over 35 UNESCO World Heritage Sites. That is the seventh in the world. So we have so many things to offer. Yeah, that's really captivating, a very diverse place. It's always interesting for Australians chatting with people who come from countries that have a much, I guess, older, at least European history or architectural history. We have some of the oldest civilizations on earth here with our Aboriginal communities. But in terms of our architecture and, and um, our written history, it's only a couple of hundred years old. So I find it very captivating to chat to people from Mexico City, I believe is about 700 years old. Is that correct? Mexico City, city technically is about 700 years old, a city founded by the world famous Aztecs. Mexicas are the real name of these guys. Then the Spaniards came about 500 years ago. And then Mexico became independent about 200 years ago. So we have three different stages just within one city. But the truth is that Mexico has over 3,500 years of history before the Europeans arrived. So we have so many different cultures, so many different traditions that they have, uh, let's say, translated into today's Mexico cultural background, which is very, very interesting. Mm. And do you feel like all of those different cultures are represented in the culture of today? There's still a strong Aztec community and that has a cultural legacy as with the Spanish and, and uh, European maybe more recently? You know, when it, the best way to notice that all these cultures are still alive is um, in our constitution, for example, we don't have an official language. We all speak Spanish. De facto, we all speak Spanish. But the thing is that we have today over 68 different indigenous languages that are still spoken. So in some of them, millions of people, some of them just a few hundreds, but they are still alive. So yes, they are uh, just within language, but then all the cultural background that they represent into the country, yes, they are alive and very much alive. We have so many traditions, so many colors, so many different kinds of food that you can visit several countries, several countries within one very day, you know? It's very exciting. Actually, it's very exciting. Yeah, that cultural diversity must be very interesting. You know, from a distance, you sometimes don't appreciate that. Um, for us, at least for me, when I think about Mexican food, you know, I think about you know, quesadillas and tacos and um, all the Mexican food wrong. that we get. Yeah. And you're not wrong. Yeah. But I'm sure there is that nuance both from different parts of the country as well as from the different contributing cultures over the, you know, many centuries of Mexican history. That is the thing. I think, well, um, food, Mexican gastronomy is one of the most uh, diverse representation of our culture. You are right. If you have a tortilla, you know, and you put whatever you can imagine in it, it could be beef, pork, fish, chicken, turkey. But if you're a vegetarian and you don't eat meat, in Mexico you will have a blast. You can eat uh, cactus, you can eat flowers, you can eat 
even the fungus that grows in the corn, uh, it's a very distinctive, and I'm sure that many of you have never tasted this before, you will have a blast in Mexico. But that is just about tacos. Then all the heritage that we have with the um, Spanish cuisine, then the French came at some point, then Austrian, German, Jewish, Middle Eastern, British, all of them have come at least once in, to Mexico, of course, in history to make invasions and make different kind of problems. But they just, uh, well, we just take the best out of them and turn it into a Mexican style kind of cuisine. So it's something that you, I'm sure that you will never get bored in Mexico in terms of food. You will always have something different. Is there any like particular dish that perhaps I wouldn't have heard of that you really love that you think is um, just a great representation of, of the kind of food you can find in Mexico? Uh, that example that I gave, gave you the, about the fungus that grows in corn, I'm sure that, well, pretty sure that you have never tasted before. Just imagine, and I don't have a better way to explain it. The name... Uh, there's no name in Spanish. Well, in, in, in Spanish language, we have just uh, the translation from the ancient uh, Nahuatl language. It's called Huitlacoche. Huitlacoche. That's right. If you have a corn and then in rain season, the corn gets sick. Everywhere in the world, when this uh, mushroom grows in the corn, you just cut it and throw it away. But then here in Mexico, you cut it, you clean it, you cook it, you prepare it, you spice it, not necessarily with chile. Chile is something that we live by. It's something that we enjoy, even since we are little children. But then this corn, the corn that is full with carbs, turns into this protein, a high protein based kind of dish, delicious something that I'm sure that you have never tried before. Okay, I'll keep my eyes open for Huitlacoche. Sounds wonderful. Sounds wonderful. Just be sure when you see it before you cook it, before you prepare it, it doesn't look very tasty. But I assure you, like, I don't know, 98% of the people that comes to Mexico and try it, they like it. So it's a bet, a sure bet, I think. Good one. Um, Andres, I'd love to know a little bit more about you, about your family and your journey to becoming a guide in Mexico. Uh, maybe you could start even with your parents or grandparents, you know, your cultural background uh, and take us through, I guess, to where you are now. Well, um, it's Mexico is very difficult. Well, first, like overall, it's very difficult to establish a cultural background or just one cultural background because we all are the mixture of many different things. Uh, we have indigenous background, we have uh, Spanish, most of us are Spanish, but you know that Spain was conquered by the, uh, by the Moors for over almost a thousand years. So we have this Middle Eastern or this Arabic uh, thing in our blood, in our way to be in our looks even. So in Mexico, you will find 
people that are blonde Mexicans, then black Mexicans, and in between, you will find 50 shades of brown. Like, very diverse kind of thing. My parents are both born in here in Mexico City, but they physically, they look different one from each other. One is, my father is very, very, like, white. My mom is a little bit more brown. And then in between the two of them, I'm here, a little bit like milk, milk with chocolate, if you will, or milk with coffee, a little bit not, not that brown, not that white. Uh, I have two sisters. One of them is also a guy. She works with me. We work together in Mexico, in Mexico a pie. Uh, we both are engineers as professions. But then we decided that we wanted to, to share all the knowledge, all the heritage that Me Mexico has to offer. And as for myself, I decided to go back to, to school, study history, and try that with passion and in a um, way to tell like a, like a story, try to tell history. Like not just when you go to back to school and they tell you, oh yes, Mexico gained its independence in 1810. No, like a little bit more, like a tale. So you, when come to Mexico, when you come to Mexico, uh, you can get back home like flashes of this Mexican culture. That's why I decided to become a, a, a tour guide. My other sister, she's also an engineer, but she's now, well, she went to Germany to study and maybe she will stay there. She is going to get a German, I don't know. And this German guy is going to fall in love with Mexican culture, thanks to my sister. Who knows? Sounds like a good plan. Lots of engineers in the family. A lots, lots of engineers, yes. My parents did good. My parents, my parents uh, don't have like a university degree. They, then that's a characteristic of Mexican people. They work very, very hard for what they have. And that's like, I don't know, all the people here in Mexico, we work a lot. We love our country and we love our families. Families in Mexico are, if not the most important, one of the top things that uh, we, we want to take care of in Mexico. Mm. It's really interesting. I want to come back to one of the things you were saying, or well, a few of the things you were saying, but just to begin with, I'm very curious. You were saying your dad is a little bit more white, your mom is a little bit more brown. Are there, yeah. I know at least in Australia for a long time, we had very ethnically distinct communities. So a whole community would come out of Greece or out of Italy or you know, they would, they would come out of Eastern Europe and often they would live in a really localized area. And for the first couple of generations in particular, but maybe still today, because it is a much younger country in terms of European colonization. Sure. Are there, there are sometimes, I guess you'd say like, um, you know, communities like to be a little bit insular. Maybe, you know, the parents would hope that the Greek son would marry another person from the same community and that sort of thing. Does that still exist in certain communities within Mexico today? Is it a generational issue or it's all just comes out in the wash at this point? I think that it comes out now. As you very well say, um, in Australia, it's a couple of hundred years country 
maybe in Mexico, as we just speaking about the European influence, we have been like this for 500 years. So we have passed these things. We do have those problems that some communities are very local, but now, no, we are just like mixing all together. It is very, um, perhaps it's distinctive. In, some, in certain areas, yes, they look a little bit different. For instance, just uh, to have like an idea, Mexico as a country, not just Mexico City, Mexico as a country, is a large country. It's, it's very, very big, like in distance big. So in certain regions, there are very local people that they kind of look alike. But then you go to the Yucatan Peninsula, for instance, and they look very much alike, very much like with this Mayan kind of uh, heritage kind of thing. But people are just moving around right now and they are just like combining uh, like everything that you have, even food, even culture, even, I don't know, like physical appearance. I believe that maybe uh, a very uh, distinctive thing that has made this easier through time is that most of us, like overall, 80% of the country is Catholic. So at least you share like one religion and that is like the main cultural background that gives you these ideas. Then of course, regionally, you have your own kind of thing. But I think that Catholic religion is a very, um, how to say, very uh, straight thing around. So you share a lot of that. Yeah, it's a strong unifying element for everybody. It's always very interesting because you do, uh, so much is to be gained from those cultural collisions, you know, when you have people that partner up from different backgrounds. And it's just about, I guess, finding a way to maintain your traditional cultures, but still embrace something new and create something that's uniquely of your relationship and of the family that you'll build while trying to honor the family that you've come from. Yes, that, that's, that's correct. That's completely correct. Uh, that's what I was telling uh, before that Mexican gastronomy, I will go back to, to food. Like everyone, when they arrive to Mexico, or they do arrive to one place, you bring your own style of food. But then in Mexico, uh, people arrive with this style of food, and then we just, as Mexicans, we just gave a little bit special touch, if you will. There is one type of tacos, perhaps the most distinctive kind of tacos in Mexico City are tacos al pastor. And when you see tacos al pastor, when they're preparing it, it's this big roll of meat, that I'm sure you have seen in some other places, like in Greece, like in Turkey, this big roll of meat that they call gyros or shawarma or whatever they call back in their place. A Lebanese immigrant came here early 20th century, uh, early 20th century, and they brought their own uh, style of food. We just change it a little bit instead of lamb, we make it with pork. And instead of bread, we use tortillas and then chiles and then salsas. So that is the thing that happens here in Mexico. Everyone brought their own thing and we just simply make it better, uh, make it Mexican way. Mm, but what can I say? Yeah. 
when you when you talk about that, you know, I know you're talking about food, but so often we're not really talking about food. You know, you could be talking about the architecture or the language, and they're just an example of how you know you take aspects of another culture and you recreate it put a stamp on it and make it your own. I think it's um, such an interesting way to be able to communicate culture and you do it so well, Andres. Oh, yeah. I, I, I try, I, well, I'm trying to say it uh, like with the easiest way, everyone loves food. And who says that they don't love to eat, they are just lying because you like to eat, everyone. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm telling a lot of people that I'm so sorry when they come to Mexico for the 10 kilos that they bring back home just in Mexican food. They are happy kilos, of course, but uh, they are 10 kilos back in extra package back home. Happy kilos, that's a good one. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. steal that, I think. Yes. Uh, you also mentioned about your family that uh, all three of you are engineers and two of you are now guides. Um, and then you were talking, of course, about history uh, once you became a guide, that that's something that you were really drawn to. And I love the way you were talking about um, sharing history, that it's not about dry facts and all that sort of thing, that it's really bringing things to life for your guests, for your visitors. I think it's amazing how different history can be in context, you know, like if you, you just compare learning history, you know, in a historical textbook or in an academic environment versus when you're suddenly immersed in a culture, at least speaking for myself, I find it really wonderful to, you know, read books of historical fiction or listen to guides when I'm in a place and suddenly it's the most captivating thing in the world when under different circumstances it might be quite remote from me. So I'd love if you could just share with us maybe one or two historical tales that you love sharing with guests because of um, some kind of insight maybe they give about local culture, um, just that it helps maybe to place you and, and give you an understanding of what life is like in Mexico or uh, why life is uh, a certain way. Well, I can tell you that usually for first-timers in Mexico City, I, well, I ask people if, if this is your first time in Mexico City, what do you know about Mexico City? And most people say that, well, Spaniards came. We have been part of the new Spanish kingdom, of course. Aztecs happened. Yes, of course. But uh, one thing that many people don't know are the foundation, the legend of the foundation of Mexico City. And that is a very interesting thing because it marks of how Mexico City lives today. Our main problem is the place where it has been founded. And it's also, now we're proud of it, but it's a big, big problem. I don't, the legend of the foundation of Mexico City starts with these guys, the Aztecs. And according to this legend, one morning they receive the message of one of the gods, the god of the war. And this god told them, okay guys, if you want to become the best of the best, well, you should follow my lead. And like any other culture that receives this kind of prophetic messages, they said, yeah, sure, we would like to become the best of the best. Okay, so you should follow my lead. You should praise me. They began to walk from the northern part of today's Mexico, uh, looking for the message that the God told them that they were going to find. They walked for over 200 years 
and they met with other cultures. They met with, uh, they learn about politics, religion, society, economics, many, many things for the, from other countries, from other cultures. Until they arrived to this place and where Mexico City is located. And Mexico City, well, this place was a huge lake, a huge lake. And in the middle of the lake, there was this little island. And in that little island, they found the message that the Goth told them that they were going to find. Now, I'm sure you and everyone that is listening have seen that message somewhere. Do you have any idea, Dan, where have you seen it? I have no idea. Ah, no, but I'm sure that you have seen it. Well, I want you to picture in your mind our flag, the Mexican flag, green, white, and red. And in the middle, our national symbol, the eagle, standing over a cactus, eating a snake. And according to this myth, that was the message that the Goths told them that they were going to find. And they found it in this little island, in, this, uh, in the middle of this big, big, big lake. So they decided to stay here. And this was precisely 1325, so almost 700 years ago. And from that, you can learn about everything that has happened here in Mexico City. How the Aztecs, they conquer in just about a little bit less than 200 years, all the way from today's central Mexico. And they arrived to some parts of Central America. They arrived to some parts of Guatemala. Uh, and they were happy. They were happy. The other communities that they were conquering, not that much. But then the Europeans arrived. And they arrived in 1517. And they heard this tale of this beautiful, gorgeous city in the mountains with gold and silver and many things that they have never seen, seen before. So they decided to come here and maybe, just maybe, reclaim it on the name of the king, of course, like, you know, like any other conquering kind of societies. So they decided to come here and then conquer the Aztec Empire in just two years, very, very quick. Then the new Spanish kingdom began, right? For 300 years, we were part of the Spanish kingdom. We learned religion and language and many, many other things that makes Mexico so special today, right? And then we decided to become independent. We began our independence war 1810 and we finished it in 1821. So this year we are commemorating 200 years of uh, the end of the war. In these 200 years, we have had so many different problems. Two emperors, two dictators, and a bunch of presidents that even one of them lasted 45 minutes in office. During war times, of course, but 45 minutes. Can you imagine living in a country with a, with a president of 45 minutes? That is crazy. Mexico City, just to imagine all these kind of problems, political problems, but Mexico City is located in the mountains, 2,200 meters above sea level. That makes the, the weather in our, in our city different from the rest of the country. Uh, it's not that warm during summer. Maybe we reach 30 degrees in, in spring. Spring is our hottest season. Summer that we are right now in summer, it's rain season. During winter, the coldest day we have, 10 degrees over zero. 
which is not that cold. I'm sure in some other places they are minus 40 and they are just like, uh, like in spring or something like that. I don't know. Here, 10 degrees and we're freezing. We live uh, in an earthquake region. We have earthquakes. And the lake that has already dried out for a long, long time makes it worse because the earthquake waves we are uh, uh, intensifies within the soft lake or soft bedrock that we have. Uh, we have we don't live that close to the Pacific Ocean or to the Gulf of Mexico, but still, when there's hurricane season, we do get the tails of the hurricanes, so we do get a lot of rain. And the rain falls down in the mountains and looks for the former lake. So we suffer with floodings. That's a different problem. We are sinking. Our city is sinking. It sounds crazy, but Mexico City is sinking. And that is the main problem that we have today. If you come to Mexico, and I invite you to come to Mexico City, and you look and you go inside of the Metropolitan Cathedral, for instance, that is a 450-year-old building, you will feel how, how leaning to one side or to the other the building is. It's just crazy to imagine that. How do we survive here? I mean, it is just crazy. Politics, pollution, 24 million people within the metropolitan area, floodings, rain, earthquake, sinking. How do we survive in this place? And the only answer that I have found for that question is that we have tacos and with tacos everything is just better <laughs> yeah uh, so many things to draw on so many threads uh, i love that story so that's um that's really really interesting it's it's so fascinating how many places you come across where it it's just surprising people have found a way to live there and thrive there uh a city of 24 million is, you know, that's more or less the number of people living in the entire country of Australia, Australia. which for comparison is a pretty similar size to the lower 48 states of the USA. So a, yeah, a very sparsely populated place. For Australians that might be listening, it's just, I think, a difficult thing to relate to, the idea of 24 million people living in one metropolitan area. Um Obviously, people are still drawn to Mexico City, and I imagine like capital cities all over the world, a lot of uh, young people probably find their way there for work opportunities and the like. Um, it's a it's a pretty good place to live. Like you, you know, what what's life like for some for a young person in Mexico City? Is it difficult to buy a house? Are there lots of nice neighborhoods? Are the university is really good. Uh, that's a uh... Very complex question to answer. Mm, life in Mexico is good overall. Mm, we have, well, the, the main problem that we have in Mexico is that we have a very like difficult social differences in between the country. While some of the country, well, the country Mexico, Mexico overall, it's 130 million uh, people I don't know, and I don't want to go into numbers, exact numbers, but maybe 80 million people, they live like with a low kind of income, which is makes 
very difficult to believe in here. That's why uh, a lot of people tend to look for a better life in the United States. They tend to migrate or on these kind of things. 80 million people, that is almost Germany. Germany has 90 million people. You know, it's, it's crazy just to think about that. But then the other side, 40 million people, they live with a very good income, with a very large, um, I don't know, productivity rate, if you will. I don't want to say that the other side doesn't, but it's just like very complex. But 40 million people, it's basically Australia, give or take. It's just one country making, making Mexico one of the top economies in the world. And then you have these two countries, which makes it very, very difficult. One of the most common uh, questions that I have is, how expensive is to live in Mexico City? If you compare it by food, for instance, with just a couple of hundred dollars, you can be living here in Mexico City, two people for one month. And just a couple of hundred dollars is very, American dollars, I mean, a very, very good way of living. You can buy a lot of things for two people. But then rent, that is a different thing. If you go to a nice neighborhood, we have like very safe, very green, very hipster, for instance, very nice. Rents can be for, uh, for an apartment that it's about uh, 100 square meters. That would be, I don't know, square meter is a good, it's understandable. Yeah. Yeah. 100 square meters. Then you can have like uh, rent for about $1,000, 1500 depending on the area, depending on the street, depending on the building. But and that's then, US dollars, so maybe US $1,500 Australian. Yeah, okay. Give or take. But then if you go to a, a lower like a lower class region, perhaps rent can be around 150 uh, or even less $100 per month. So that is a huge difference in between the living conditions from one side to another. So yes, it just depends on that uh, of income that you may have. University speaking, the, the National University of Mexico is one of the best in Latin America. It's huge, like, I don't know, 250,000 uh, alumni, for instance. The problem is we are a country of 129 million, uh, 129 million people, so it's not enough. But then you have private universities that they are very good, they compete with most of the universities around the world. Like in the top 100, you have several of them. Top 100, I mean, around the world. Uh, another like key measurement would be uh, hospitals. We have a large public service in hospitals that is free for most of the people. Again, top-notch hospitals around the, the from compared to the world, but it's not enough for all the amount of people. So yeah, you have like lack of these kind of services, but you will have private hospitals, of course, that prices are just skyrocketing, if you will. So it's 
very difficult. Um, and for that eighty, for yeah. that eighty million, are things like uh, university education accessible? Is that socialised as well, like the healthcare, or all university places are paid places? University, um, it's education in Mexico. It's supposed, well, it's not supposed. It's free for everyone. You have elementary, high school, then uh, some college or university. The problem is that if your family doesn't have, or the family doesn't have enough income, you drop school. Like perhaps in high school, you don't get the chance. Not, not because there's not a space. If you work hard enough, maybe you can have the opportunity, but then you have to drop school because you have to bring money back to your house. And that is a problem, perhaps, for that 80 million. It's complicated. A lot of indigenous communities we have, a lot of indigenous communities, and they, uh, they don't have access to many, uh, like many services. Of course, some of them, they, have, they do have like water and light and all these kind of things. But then, like uh, these technology kind of things, like internet, for instance, it's not existence. Uh, and during last year, with all this situation that we have been having and schools closing down, if you don't have internet access in order to go to school, what do you do? A lot of people drop, uh, even from elementary school, because the lack of internet access in indigenous communities or in local and rural, rural areas, for instance, right? Are there a lot of communities like that where people live, you know, maybe in a more traditional way of life with regard to sort of indigenous heritage? There are a lot. Yes, there are a lot. Mm, I don't know by numbers how many millions um, people live like that, but there's, yeah, there's a lot of people that still lives like uh, from agriculture or from different kind of uh, ways of income, more traditional ways of income, which is a good side. Um, uh, very difficult to say that, which has the pros. The pros is that they have uh, connected with their own culture. They have uh, saved their own heritage. And there are a lot of uh, intangible cultural heritage that are uh, world heritage by UNESCO, still alive here in Mexico. So that's a good thing. I mean, they can have these um, like benefits from from remaining their own culture. You mean? Yeah, they're not complex. Uh, they're, they're complex issues because I guess you, um, you, you know, like from a, a, a more European background, we talk you know about literacy and employment opportunities and access to education and healthcare and values that are very steeped in our own heritage and the sort of things that you have access to when you live in a sophisticated cosmopolitan area. But the more traditional your way of life, perhaps the less by those existing metrics, um, you can really measure up. And for all young people, you want to be able to say that you have opportunity and the right to choose and that, you know, like the world is your oyster, so yeah. to speak. Uh, but sometimes that does come at the expense of a traditional way of life. Yeah, that's right. A difficult That's balance right. to strike in any culture that is blending very new with very old. Um, I'm really interested to hear a little bit more about Catholicism because 
from a distance, I certainly think of Mexico as a place that is quite religious. And I want to know that if for the average person, is that more about cultural heritage and tradition, family and community, uh, or is it genuinely that religious belief is still a, a big way of life for younger generations? Uh, in the last census, in last year, it said that almost 80% of Mexicans, we are still Catholic. Like some of more, some less, some just, just say, yes, I'm Catholic because that's the way I got, I, I, I was uh, raised. But I think that Catholicism is still a big thing. Maybe not everyone, maybe not in Mexico City, there are a lot of young people that they are, they have been driving away from the traditional things of, of the church. But uh, I think that a great example is the number of services, the number of masses that you can find in the Metropolitan Cathedral. And you may say the Metropolitan Cathedral, that's the heart of the Catholic faith. Yes, today in pandemic times, there are three masses every single day from Monday to Friday. And there are six on Saturdays and six on Sundays. So that's a large number of services. But then if you walk in downtown, you walk two blocks to the north or two blocks to the west or two blocks to the south, you will find another church and they will have masses every single day. That means that people go to mass and it doesn't matter if you are young or old, you will find a place where you will find a mass. And every single neighborhood in Mexico City has a church or at least one church per, I don't know, two neighborhoods or three neighborhoods or something like that. You don't have the pretext not to go to mass. I mean, in the sense that there are services, but if there are services, it means that people goes, go, people go to the, to the, to the church. So yes, the answer is yes. We are still very Catholic overall. And that's young people as well. You still find young people your age and, and younger going to church masses on, on a regular basis? Perhaps on Sundays, yes. Maybe not as much as in the past, but yes, you you see young people in, in churches. That's a common practice. Because of your grandparents and then your parents, they just teach you this way. I have a friend, you know, uh, He's just about my age. He has young kids, about eight, 10 years old. And he says that he's not a Catholic anymore, you know, because he has lost a little bit of faith and all these kind of things. But he's uh, raising his children Catholic because of all the values that the religion gives you, the moral compass, if you will, that the religion gives you. And I'll tell, and I'll told him like a year ago, oh, you're lying, man. Because in your, your mirror, in your car, there's a cross hanging, you know? Uh, and he says, oh, don't be fooled. I'm not Catholic, but my car, she is Catholic. <laughs> yeah, no, that is the way we are. Like, yeah, everyone is Catholic. Even your dog, maybe. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting. I think Australia is quite a secular place, at least uh, for the younger generations and communities. And that's probably a trend that's echoed in lots of places around the world. And 
you know, perhaps, um, you know, that's a cultural movement that's, that's only gaining momentum over time. But I think there's a lot um, of human history wrapped up in our religious traditions and a lot of culture and identity. And in some ways, I think that's um, done away with, it can be done away with in a, in a generation. And sometimes, you know, I'm not an especially religious person by any means, uh, but I, I do feel like there's a, there's a strong legacy of culture and identity and tradition and a place for faith in modern life, you know, that uh, it's um, sometimes younger generations can be too eager to do, to do away with. That's right. That's right. I think, yeah, I mean, slowly we are transitioning into that. But uh, when you have the cultural background and you say, uh, God bless you or something like that, it steals in your cultural heritage. When you sneeze, God bless you or bless you. That's in your in your mind, the inner chip that you have in the way you act. And that's, as you say, maybe going away in most places. But I think that in Mexico and Latin America, uh, it's not going away like soon. Yeah. Even though, even though we were part of this empire for 300 years that they were like, yeah, pushing us and squashing us and everything, like any European conquering kind of thing. But we learn and keep. That's the thing. We learn and keep. Yeah. Mm. And make it your own. I'm sure there are particular nuances or differences to Catholicism in Mexico to how it was perhaps in Spain or other parts of Europe at the time. And even even compared to some parts of Latin America, we are strange. As I told you, Mexicans, we are strange. I think one of the most uh, worldwide known traditions that we have in Mexico is the Day of the Death. Uh, Dia de la Muerte. Dia <laughs> de los Muertos. Yes. It's not about the death as the, the, the fact of you are dying, but the people that have died and they accompany you. Like if your parents are gone, your grandparents are gone, the family that you love are gone, then you get remembered with this day. And this is just a mixture of pre-Spanish heritage and Catholic heritage which is very, very strange. You will find if you visit one of the best times of the, of the year to come to Mexico is during this uh, Day of the Death traditions uh, in late October, November the 1st, November the 2nd. And you will find inside of a church, inside of a Catholic church, uh, like a special offering with the picture of someone and then a little skull. Could be sugar, could be chocolate could be a candy skull but can you imagine like the head the representation of the head of someone like beheaded or something like that inside of a church so yeah like catholic church in mexico is a little bit strange also because of these kind of things yeah sounds like a really cool time to visit uh, back to sort of modern day mexico city i know you were mentioning nice places to live and that uh, sort of thing. Are there any like really cool neighborhoods or streets, areas that if I was coming to Mexico City, you would recommend that I absolutely must see? Sure. Um, well, in Mexico City, of course, downtown, very traditional. But then this avenue is connected 
This uh, area is connected with an avenue that is called Reforma, uh, Paseo de la Reforma. This avenue is, I don't know, about uh, six, seven kilometers with very nice neighborhoods uh, towards both sides. One of, or some of the neighborhoods that they are very trendy are Condesa, are Colonia Roma. They are very um, nice, as I told you earlier, very green, very safe, a lot of restaurants, a lot of cafes. But then you go across this Reforma Avenue to Polanco area, and Polanco is an upscale part of town where you will find the best boutiques in Mexico. If you want to buy a Ferrari, that is a place. I don't know why would you like to buy a Ferrari in Mexico with a lot of traffic. <laughs> is It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if you want to buy one, that's the place. But then the best hotels are in that area. Also very green, very modern, very... It's like being really in a neighborhood in the States, in the United States, for instance, with a Mexican touch, of course, but very, very nice. But then if you go to South Mexico City, there's this neighborhood that it's worth visiting or even worth uh, staying there that it's called Coyoacán. It's about, I don't know, eight, nine kilometers to the south from downtown. Very, very nice place. And each one of these neighborhoods has its own like uh, personality. Um, different types of houses, different types of streets, uh, different kinds of culture or history between their houses and everything. But they are just very, very nice, nice places. These are just few of the neighborhoods that you can visit in Mexico City. I'm sure you need a lot of time to get to know it with such a massive, sprawling city. Yeah. What about yeah. around the country? Are there any favorite places of yours to go on holiday? Maybe some hidden secrets that aren't, you know, on the traditional tourist trail, but you think are really wonderful places to visit for one reason or another? That is perhaps that's the hardest question so far, because there are so many places to visit. Uh, we have... In Mexico, we have a um, touristic program that it's called Pueblos Magicos or Magical Towns. When these little towns, these little villages, perhaps 100, 200,000 people living in these places, they keep their tradition and they keep their colors, they keep their food, they keep, they keep a lot of things. And they are just beautiful places to spend a day or spend a weekend that they are within travel distance, with, within driving distance from Mexico City. But then if you are a lover of the seaside, you should, and you coming from Australia, for instance, you should go to Cancun, for, for example, to the Caribbean Sea. And this, Cancun is just one spot, but the Mayan Riviera is just amazing. I know Australia has the coral reef, the largest coral reef, right, in in the world. Well, Mexico has the second and the third, one in the Pacific, in California, and one in the Caribbean Sea. Like, we have a lot of stuff to be just lying in, in the beach with sun, sand, and margaritas. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty charmed way to spend the day or the week <laughs> or a lifetime. Oh, yeah. Like suffering, 
suffering so much. Yes, I understand. Mm. Yeah, I passed through Mexico very briefly many years ago and made my way up from Guatemala along the coast, going through Tulum and a few smaller places up to Cancun uh, before going to Cuba. I, it was a bit of a regret not having more time, but more time. De definitely a trip I'll have to make again. Um, and I'd love to see you in Mexico City, Andres. It would be such a pleasure. For sure. For sure. I would love to welcome you uh, here in Mexico City and just show you around. Like there's a lot to, to see, a lot to visit, a lot of museums, a lot, to, a lot to just enjoy. And the people, I can tell you, the people perhaps is the best thing about Mexico. If you get lost in Mexico and you ask someone about uh, a street uh, direction, and even if they don't speak English and you don't speak Spanish, they will do everything to help you. That's a Mexican way. Everyone who loves Mexico will be loved back. And that's the truth. That's really nice to hear. I think sometimes what filters through apart from a place being really beautiful and culturally rich and diverse and having wonderful food about Mexico is that there is, you know, sometimes issues of safety and, and um, you know, a lot of poverty and things to be a bit concerned about maybe if you're visiting from another place. I'm sure that that is a real part of life, living in a big diverse city and country uh, where there is a strong economic divide. But is it something you think visitors need to be worried about? Uh, safety issues are a problem, but very, how to say, focalized in certain areas. The border, for instance, with the United States, it's not that safe. But then the rest of the country has its own problems, but nothing to be really like be really worried about. Mexico is a nice place to, to visit. For a foreigner that comes here to Mexico, it's even safer. To be honest, to be truth, uh, I have never heard about any major problems that anyone from any place in the world has suffered here in Mexico. Of course, you have to be careful with the pickpocketing kind of thing, but that is in any major city in the world. But here in Mexico, you will be safe. Overall, you will be safe. There's nothing to worry about. I'll take it as an indictment of Melbourne that you don't have to be concerned with pickpocketing here. Maybe we're not a major city around the world. <laughs> really? I won't That's take cool. it personally That's on cool. this. It is cool. Um, it's been so fascinating to talk to you. Um, for people who want to find Andres, his company is Mexico RPM, Mex Mexico on foot. They do free walking tours around town. They also do private tours and experiences. Uh, he's a wealth of knowledge of which we've just been scratching the surface today. So um, we'll provide some links to your company on the podcast information. And if people do want to get in touch, they'd be very welcome to do that. Andres, it's been such a pleasure Very to chat welcome. to you. Um, I wish you all the best and I hope uh, with the borders opening up, you guys are very busy in the coming seasons. Oh, yes, for sure. We'll be ready for everyone to come here. And as I told you, we're waiting here for, with Tacos and Tequila. 
what I think is better than that. Mate, it sounds like a, a wonderful proposition. Oh, for sure. Thanks, mate. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in today. Our show is made possible by Localing Australia. We create authentic local experiences for people who don't like tours. In fact, we've created over 5,000 of them, but we're pretty new to podcasting, so we really appreciate your support as we figure things out. We'd love to hear what you thought of the show and about some other places you'd be keen for us to take you. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe, review, and or share us. I'm Daniel Platt, and thanks for listening to Places with People.